Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. California just wrapped up its historic water year and began a new one this month. The 2023 water year, which measures precipitation from October through September, has been called a miracle. Heavy rain and snowfall left reservoirs across the state running high all the way through the summer. It was a dramatic turnaround from California's driest three-year period on record. In total, the state received nearly one and a half times its average annual precipitation and more than double its average snowpack. And the Chronicle's newsroom meteorologists predict increasing odds of a second straight wet winter for California. So why are state officials implementing new restrictions on water use? Under a first-of-its-kind proposal, about 400 cities and suppliers, including most in the Bay Area, will soon have to meet state-mandated targets on water use. It's an effort to put the state on a more permanent conservation footing, an acknowledgement that any one miracle water year doesn't negate the ongoing challenges of climate change. What does it mean for you? Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander discusses the state's water future and how far this new plan will take us toward sustainable water conservation. Curtis will also explain the rare piece of legislation that Governor Gavin Newsom signed this past weekend, one that finally confronts California's complicated and often unfair water rights system. Curtis Alexander, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Curtis, California's official water year just ended, and now that all the tabulation is done, how does the state's water outlook compare to numbers from a year ago? Yeah, it's really night and day between this year and last. The big wet winter that we had really changed the landscape. If you look at the water year, which starts in October and goes through September so that it captures all of the wet season, last year at this time, we were looking at the state being 99% in drought. Fast forward to this year, less than 1% of the state is in drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor. It's the same story for reservoirs. If you look at the big reservoirs in the state, like Shasta and Orville and Folsom, at this time last year, at the beginning of the water year, they had 60%, 65% of the water they normally have for the time of year, whereas this year they're looking at 130%, 135% of water. So a lot of the reservoirs have twice as much water as they did last year. A final note is that a lot of climate scientists are watching the developing El Nino in the tropical Pacific. And uh, as we know, El Ninos can really change worldwide weather patterns. And um, a lot of people are saying that California is going to have another wet year this year. So state water officials are calling this past water year sort of a miracle water year because of all the rain and snow we got. But the state also is rolling out plans for water restrictions that will lead to deep cuts in usage in some cities. What's happening there? Well, the plan is called Making Conservation a California Way of Life. 
And what the state is proposing to do is set long-term water targets for about 400 cities and water agencies. In other words, quotas for the amount of water they can use. Cities and water agencies have to come up with ways to try to try to hit these targets. And in some cases, cities and water agencies are going to have to cut back as much as 20, 25 percent. There's going to be fines if cities and water agencies don't meet those targets. The fines can be as much as $10,000 per day, which is pretty significant. So it's going to get a lot of these agencies on board. And why now? There was legislation signed by then-Governor Jerry Brown in 2018, which required increased urban water efficiency. And this is what the state water board has come up with. And what is this plan really trying to accomplish as a whole? Obviously, conserving water is a part of it, but it seems like also maybe sort of a paradigm shift for residents. Yeah, the idea is to have permanent water restrictions and greater water efficiency over the long term so people don't have to jump between being in a drought and being forced to cut back significantly and not being in a drought where they can just, you know, have free will and use of water. Even if you look at the droughts over the past decade, and there's been, you know, two big ones, they put water restrictions in place, but it took people a long time to start saving water, months, in some cases longer. And a lot of the time, the targets weren't even met. I think during this last drought, which we came out of this year, the target was 15%. And after several months, we may have hit five or 6% statewide water reduction. So just what the state wants to do is not have us always being in this emergency situation, trying to cut back when we need it most, because we might not be able to do it. Mm. So how does the state measure what constitutes good or bad water conservation? What standard are they using? Yeah, the state is just trying to make cities and towns as efficient as possible. And this is sort of the formula or policy they've come up with. It's a pretty involved equation for how they've set these targets. One thing that the state law that prompted this measure required is that the standard be 47 gallons of water a day per person for indoor water use in 2025. And a lot of communities like San Francisco is very efficient, already per capita water use is around that or even less. Mm. And what it would do is it would increase that standard to 42 gallons per person per day for indoor water use by 2030. So it, it sets the formula based on these allocations, not only for indoor water use, for outdoor water use, and then there's an allocation that's also given for water loss due to leaks a lot of infrastructure is old, very leaky, and the state's given a little leeway for that. Mm. So, I mean, we just had this incredible water year, and it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that water year really only benefits us in the short term, not the long term? Some of the reservoirs are really big, and we can get several years of water out of them. But the state of California is always jumping, as we all know, from these boom and bust water times. So as quickly as we got out of the drought, we could jump back into one. And with climate change, with the hotter, drier weather, with more development, more people, the demand on water is going to increase and the supply of water is estimated to go down. In fact, the Department of Water Resources, the state estimates that by 2040, we could have 10% less water for human consumption. That's just one estimate. I've seen several more severe estimates than that. 
How will water restrictions affect the average California resident? And why are some unhappy about the state's effort to mandate water conservation? Chronicle reporter Curtis Alexander shares after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Curtis Alexander, tell me, how will water cuts be felt in the Bay Area for an average resident who's going about their day? Most residents in the Bay Area aren't going to see too much of a water cut. They'll see some over the 12-year span of this regulation. It goes through 2035, and that's because the Bay Area generally uses water very efficiently, more so than other parts of the state, largely because of small lot sizes and the weather is more moderate. But everybody's going to feel something. San Francisco, which is extremely efficient, if you look at the state's estimates, will not have to cut any water through 2035. They're one of the the exceptions just because they use water very, very well. Mm. Whereas some other cities and communities like Martinez and Livermore and Foster City, for example, are going to have to cut water by double digits by 2035, which is a pretty big load. So all of this kind of sounds like a big lift, maybe not necessarily for San Franciscans, but why are some people not liking this plan? What's the pushback? Well, a lot of people think that the state shouldn't be regulating water agencies and cities. The cities and and the, the, the agencies have a better idea of their water supply than the state has. One specific concern is the timeline that the state has set. Some of these agencies are going to be required to reduce their water consumption quite a bit by 2025 when the regulation really takes effect, and that's less than two years from now. Another concern is the cost. One of the things that water agencies will be doing to try to rein in their water use as these targets take effect is give their customers uh, rebates or even free uh, devices and tools to reduce their water use, whether that's helping them tear out their lawns and plant turf or have drought tolerant landscaping or for the indoors, give them more water efficient toilets and dishwashers and water heaters and so forth. And that costs a lot of money. I think the estimate for water efficiency devices for communities was something like almost $10 billion. And uh, the total cost of this regulation, according to the state, is going to be $13.5 billion. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot of money. Um, Fortunately, what the state says is there's going to be a cost benefit because there's going to be water savings in the long run, and it's not going to cost as much to produce all the water. But Curtis, in the grand scheme of things, you know, how much of a difference will water regulation in cities actually make in the state? Yeah, under the state's proposal, water use by cities and towns would drop about 8% a year by 2035. For some perspective, that's about a half million acre feet of water a year, which is about what a little more than a million households use. So it's a good amount of savings. Looking at the big picture, uh, urban water use is about 20% of the water used in California. 80% is used by agriculture. So you got to look at agriculture in this equation too. Agriculture faces a, a different way of getting water and using water, and they are being cut back as well. It's just in a very different way. 
Governor Gavin Newsom just signed this rare piece of legislation, SB 389, this past weekend that confronts issues with California's water rights system. And that would address water usage by big consumers like the agricultural sector. Tell me how. Well, the water rights system is what basically is the basis for everybody's water use. There's winners and losers in this system, and big winners and big losers. So some people, namely large agricultural suppliers who get a lot of water and can use as much as they want, they've largely evaded regulation over the years because of the water rights system. And this legislation gives the state a little bit more power to investigate how much water they're using and set up the possibility of curbing these big water users, which hasn't been done historically. So it could make some dent in the total amount of agricultural water use. And this legislation was seen as a win by which stakeholders in particular? I think a lot of people, environmentalists who want to see less water used by people and more water remaining in rivers for wildlife habitat and so forth, they were happy to see this legislation passed. Unfortunately, there were a few other bills in the legislature that tried to give the state more authority over senior water rights users, and those bills did stall out in the legislature this year. So, Curtis, what else could be done to help with water conservation from maybe an infrastructure level? Yeah, I think having cities, you know, cut back like this policy proposes is very, very important. And one thing I want to add is that under this proposal, it's not individuals who are being regulated by the state. It's the water agencies themselves that are being held accountable. So the water agencies will have to decide how they're going to manage customers and customer water use. I think in some cases, the most extreme cases, customers will start seeing water restrictions, things like when they can water outdoors or even total caps on household water use. But again, that's the most extreme case. As far as infrastructure goes, I think reusing water in a number of ways is going to be one of the sort of panaceas for California going forward, using stormwater and finding ways to put that into the water supply, using more groundwater, using recycled water, desalinated water is, is going to be another thing. Expanding our source is really going to help out. I mean, my dad's sort of on this trend, Curtis. He uses gray water to water his plants, and that's worked really well. Maybe it's something like that, too. Absolutely. Using gray water and recycling it in any way you can is um, is fabulous. So, Curtis, what will be the consequences if Californians aren't able to get our water usage under control long term? Remind us of our climate outlook. Yeah, because we're seeing a future with less water and because the demand is going to remain high, people are going to have to cut back. They're going to have to cut back water. Someone's going to have to do it. The other thing to note here is that when people want more water, there's more pressure to take it from rivers and streams. And when people do this, we're drying up the landscape, we're drying up rivers, we're drying up wildlife habitat. In some cases, we're going to be making the landscape drier and present the possibility of more wildfires. So there's going to be more pressure on the environment as well. Mm. Well, Curtis, always great to have your insight. Thank you so much for sharing them with me. Thanks for having me. Curtis Alexander covers water, wildlife, and the climate for The Chronicle. Find his reporting online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. 
One more thing before we go, we're working on some future episodes about the upcoming 2024 election, and we'd love to hear from you. In particular, stories about how political debates and public controversies in the Bay Area are impacting your life. Tell us about the most divisive local issues that have caused friction and debates among your friends and family. Shoot us an email at fifth at sfchronicle.com or leave us a message at 415-777-6156. You could end up on a future Fifth Emission episode. The Fifth Emission team includes co-host Laura Wenis, producer Keith Manconi, audio engineer Gary Baca, and editor Sarah Feldberg. I'm Cecilia Lay. Thanks for listening. <laughs>